You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Monday, November 14th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler filled discussion about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Editor Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Okay, so Ben, we have not talked beforehand. I don't know your thoughts on this movie. Uh, so we could be in alignment. We could be in disagreement. Usually I feel like I'm more in the positive end of the Marvel things and you're usually more critical. Mm -hmm. uh, I think with this movie, I think I am a little bit critical, although I liked it. Uh, so I guess let's start with your brief thoughts on black panther wakanda forever uh well before that peter i just want to say happy belated birthday uh, oh, thank your birthday you. was over the weekend so yes uh, yes excellent hopefully you had a, a good solid birthday <laughs> i did i actually went to disneyland they had a black panther wakanda forever celebration at disneyland and we did a video on uh ordinary adventure so okay. uh, i'll link that in the show notes anyways yeah nice uh yeah my general thoughts are um this movie is is pretty messy uh there were some <laughs> things that i enjoyed about it but for the most part i mean okay so so this movie right more than almost any of the other marvel movies requires massive amounts of caveats and carve outs and like um you know i, I feel like they, they were yeah exactly because they, they were just dealt such a, a terrible hand with the loss of chadwick boseman and like you know I, I think a case could be made that this movie um that they should have just stopped 
uh, or they could have just stopped. I don't know about should, but they could have just stopped. And this movie just feels to me like it was made by people who are experiencing, you know, they were in the throes of grief while they're making this. This is a, a very, very tough, like emotional thing. It's, it's hard enough to make a movie already. It's hard enough. It's harder still to make a really, really good movie. And then to do that on top of, um, you know, having the requirements of needing to seed in things to the larger MCU project and having your actors work through losing, you know, their castmate and the sort of like, um, you know, iconic figure of, of Chadwick Boseman and, and, and what he like took on to represent uh, in the past several years. Um, people working through that almost in real time and, and their characters working through that in a way and like how therapeutic this was for people and cathartic and like all the emotions and stuff that were swirling around. This is just a tough, tough ask of any movie. Um, so I, I feel like it, you know, th- there are some aspects of it that I appreciated, but for the most part, I think on, on a narrative level and and like a thematic level, this movie's pretty messy. Yeah, no, I, I, I messy is the word for it. I, I, I actually agree with you on this one, surprisingly. Um, it, it's, you know, I like what they were going with the grief stuff. I, I, I like what they were trying to say. And I, I was kind of disappointed that that ended up being like the C storyline of this movie because there was so much else kind of thrown into the mix. Mm-hmm. You know, they're setting up Disney, uh, at least two Disney plus TV series here. They're, uh, you know, cramming in uh, uh, <laughs> other characters that didn't seemingly need to be there or even like spend, we didn't need to spend time with them for mm-hmm. this story to be told. I, I did like the, I did like the, um, the Namor stuff. I I do think that Ryan Coogler has now created two, uh, two worlds in this Marvel Cinematic Universe that are are, are fleshed out and and especially with these two films, two characters that, um, and I know he said this in an interview. I I think uh, with Collider they brought up Namor and they said uh, the bad guy in this film. And he was like, no, 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 I don't call him bad guy. I call him the antagonist because in, in my films, they're antagonists, not bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think with these two films, he's created two great antagonists. It's just, um, it's pretty messy and we, yeah. we can get into <laughs> why it's messy. And I kind of feel bad because we're, we're, we're two white guys uh, who d- didn't love this movie uh, discussing this. I was hoping that you were going to be on the more positive side. Uh, to be honest with you, I would give this like a 7 out of 10. So I'm not like negative. Uh, I just, I don't know, I think I was expecting more, especially coming off the first film. What would yeah, you and that give trailer it is so good, too. So I feel like that sort of like re-level, reset my expectations of like, oh, wow, this movie is going to be, you know, uh, better than I thought it was going to be. And then it ended up just being uh, worse than the trailer. So that, that sort of, um, you know, makes it difficult. But uh, yeah. What would you give it out of 10? Oh, boy. Um, yeah, probably like a like a six or seven, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, there are aspects of it that I like. We'll, we'll get to them. Yeah, yeah. By the way, to be fair, that trailer is one of the best trailers released in years, in my opinion. Like, yeah, it's, it was great. Yeah, it, it literally made me cry. So, and this movie made me cry a couple times. So, I mean, like, if, if that is a bar, uh, you know, this film did it. Uh, so, let's go through this. Okay, so uh, the opening I wanted to talk about, because that opening scene was brutal to watch. Like, just to, first of all, watch uh, Shuri, like, unable to cure... T'Challa, and then the mourning. Mm-hmm. 
like you said, all these people, all these actors are working, you know, the filmmakers, the, uh, the crew are not able to just, you know, move past it, but they're actually having to make a piece of art about what they're going through in that moment. Right. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I thought that was really powerful going into the Marvel logo itself with, uh, all T'Challa, um, and silence. No, um, I'm sorry. My dog is, uh, <laughs> is coughing. Gizmo, calm down. Okay. Uh, he, he's sick. So I apologize. I, I, I'm not probably going to be able to edit around him coughing. Okay. So how do you think, what do you think about this film and how it handles the grief? Yeah, I mean, definitely that the opening scene is, I think, the most effective part. It's it's so, um, yeah, like arresting and, and just drops you right into the, the pure emotionality of what's going on. Um, so I think that was really well handled. I think um, for the most part, the, the grief uh, aspect is, is relatively well handled. I just didn't appreciate the... Um, the character that this entire thing hangs on. I, I personally find Shuri's journey with that grief to be kind of the most in, uninteresting choice that they could have made uh, for a character to follow uh, and sort of like center this whole narrative around. Um, and her journey from beginning to end and that sort of arc that she has, it just, it felt to me like there were other people in Wakanda that um, I know she was close to him, obviously, uh, Shuri and T'Challa were like the sort of one-two punch of that first movie. And, and they were very much like, you know, she was definitely like his sidekick in the best possible way. And they had a great relationship. And I understand that like, you know, that groundwork was laid, but I just, I didn't think that Shuri's, um, uh, I don't know, like the, the I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure that I really bought her, yeah, yeah. her journey, if that makes sense. And I know it sounds like I'm like, you know, policing how somebody grieves, but this is a fictional character. And I think there are, um, you know, while this is a real, it's all intertwined, right? Like that it's, that's why it's kind of tough to talk about because the real actor is gone. Um, and so, you know, th we just have to make sure to draw distinctions between the characters that we're talking about and the people that we're talking about. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I loved uh, her in the first film and I feel like in this film, it, it, I don't know what it is. Is it that the arc isn't there? Is it the, the actress was unable to handle the arc because I don't know what is the arc. The arc was at the beginning. She was unable to carry T'Challa. She believes that black Panther is a thing in the past. Like, it's not like, I don't know. I expected it to be like her being pushed to become black Panther and her like kind of, uh, you know, the, the classic mythic thing mm -hmm. of being like, you know, no, 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 I, I, I'm pu pushing off the, the responsibility and then eventually having to take on the responsibility. But it wasn't that it was like, it was more about rage, like the the yeah. um, the anger that she felt at losing him or at not being able to save him, and um, and you know that that could be an interesting thing, but it, there's just not enough like internal explore like exploration of that. Like you don't you don't really get to sit with her and her thoughts very much in this movie because it has too much going on, and so it, it just sort of comes off as like a one note thing of like oh she's really angry about it and like that is a that is a, a way that people grieve that's like a, a regular um response that people have right but like for that to be the journey in the movie is for her to go from you know being angry and and like essentially wanting to use the black power or the black panther powers and suit and and the heart-shaped herb and all the all the stuff that comes along with that 
as a way to enact her revenge. Um, And then realizing at the very end of the movie, like, okay, that's, you know, show them who you are, that that this is not who I am. This is not what I want to do. This is not what T'Challa would have approved of. Um, I just don't know if that's a big enough arc to hang an entire movie like this on. I feel like that is a powerful idea, especially for an ending of a movie where you have the, you know, the quote unquote good guy and bad guy going at it and to basically to have that decision to have, I'm mm-hmm. not going to kill him. And I'm, you know, we're going to make this work and blah, blah, blah. Like th- 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 that's a profound idea, but I feel like the the whole first two thirds of the movie don't build up to that idea in a, in a good way. I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, it feels it feels abrupt. It feels like I, I was never really emotionally connected with almost anything in this movie in the same way that I was in the first movie. And yeah, some of that I think has to do with the fact that Chadwick Boseman was just like a a super charismatic presence a, as an actor. And Letitia Wright, who is great in in certain things and and great in like small doses as a Shuri character in the first movie, just doesn't have the I don't know what it is that 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 sort of like X factor that Chadwick Boseman had, and so to me it, it seems like this movie has a big case of like um, get him to the Greek syndrome, where like yeah. uh, Russell Brand's character from Forgetting Sarah Marshall was really funny in that movie because he was used in small doses, and then they gave him his own spinoff, and he had to be the center of attention, and like the movie was just not as good because the the dynamic, the balance was all thrown off because that character was initially conceived to be you know, to, to work in one sort of mode. And then when you switch them out into an, an entirely different mode, it just doesn't quite have the same spark to it. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with you here. Uh, I will say that um, one, one thing I really did like about this movie is the score by Ludwig uh, Gornson. Uh, get, you know, he did the score for the first film, but like, I feel like uh, the way this movie plays with silence, especially like in the beginning with, um, the Marvel logo and actually like later on in the movie uh, near the end it, it is great. But when, when the score comes in, it, it got me to care on a level that I feel like the story in the movie wasn't um, at, at, I don't know, mm-hmm. it, it elevated it. But I, I will say with you, uh, uh, say that um, this movie, there's a giant hole in this movie and it's, you know, the Chadwick, Bozeman is missing from this movie and I, I feel like in in the and I, I feel like this is partially intentional like you feel like this in the story of the movie that T'Challa there's a giant hole because T'Challa is missing but it, it it never quite felt like it felt like more of a uh like like we were missing that that person it didn't, it didn't feel like we were missing that character it felt like we were missing that person mm-hmm. in, in the grand scheme of the cast if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so yeah um oh, okay let's get to namor uh what did you think of namor uh i thought it was a cool character i thought uh you know i, I appreciated like the um the mentality there and like you said like the you know it, it reminded me a little bit of, of killmonger like ryan coogler is clearly uh you know comes at approaches the sort of antagonist role from a place of empathy and like, let me truly get into this character's head and make their motivations clear, make their uh, their wants and desires and like their history clear to everyone. So even though they're doing things that some people could view as evil, other people could, you know, take their side and like totally see where they're coming from. So um, I feel like Namor is, is another good example of that. Um, 
I thought their performance was great. Um, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, th- there was a little bit of that charisma that I, I was sort of lacking or seeing lacking from the rest of the movie. I still wish that he, Namor could have like, uh, let loose a little bit more. Cause he also was, was really like, um, seemed hemmed in by the sort of like ultra seriousness of, of what this movie had him do. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more to this character. There are like different gears that we can see this character take. I'm, I'm guessing in, in future MCU projects. So I'm excited to see that. Um, it almost reminds me a little bit of like what Chris Hemsworth, the, the journey that he went on as Thor, like he was very much one thing in the first movie and then, uh, has transitioned into something totally different. So I wouldn't be surprised if Namor becomes like a, you know, a full breakout, like fan favorite, if he's not already, um, you know, in yeah. two or three movies or something, because like, I feel like there's a lot of room in that personality where he can uh, spread his wings a little bit, um, I guess, <laughs> pun intended with the, the feet <laughs> wings, uh, which is a, yeah, a weird choice, but you know, definitely like an ish, a, a, a sign a that Marvel, thing. Yeah. yeah, is the sign that Marvel is like absolutely no, not worried about bringing comic book things into their movies. Like, you know, th- this is not a decision that, you know, 2008 Marvel would have made. Um, it's, it's definitely something that they've earned, you know, the ability to, uh, once, once they pass the, um, the talking tree and talking raccoon, uh, <laughs> bar in 2014, I feel like the, the world opened up to them to, to be able to bring super, you know, uh, like hardcore nerdy comic book stuff into the mainstream like that. That is a great point. Um, I was, I want to say I love the underwater kingdom of Tolkien. I love, I love his struggles. I love uh, seeing his backstory and what what came into this. I think what I don't like about Namor is the is the screenwriting. Yeah, in that, um, you know, it, it feels like he's making a lot of decisions that's just there to facilitate the plot of what needs to be done. Like, um, you know, him blaming Wakanda for the vibranium race. That sounds like good, but then he gives them that ultimatum to deliver the scientists responsible to him. And that just seems like, why is that necessary? Like that, that knowledge is already out there somewhere. It's probably in uh, data files. You know, they already know how to make it. Like what is getting Riri Williams going to do? It just seems like this is like, we need to, cram in this character to yeah. build up so get people excited for a disney plus series if ever if anybody out there doesn't know Riri williams it's iron heart and she's going to have a D, uh, disney plus series it's already filmed we saw a trailer for it at uh, d23 so it's 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 to get people excited for that but it seems kind of ridiculous and even like later when namer proposes you know this alliance with wakanda against the rest of the world but then threatens to destroy wakanda if they refuse it's like it's a uh, that doesn't make any like. Why would I go into a partnership with someone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not not the best negotiator, Namor, maybe. But um, but yeah, I a hundred percent felt the same way. Where it's like you can sort of see the um, the code in the matrix or whatever when when stuff like that happens. Where it's like, oh, okay. The reason you're doing this is to support all these other things that the MCU needs because, like you said, that sort of like. Um, that like uh, single-minded devotion to like, bring me the scientist. Like there, there's no real, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. fell a little, felt a little uh, hollow to me. Um, and it just felt like we need this to, in order to move pieces around the board instead of like, this is actually a justified decision that this character would make. Um, yes. Uh, okay. Let's talk about Ironheart really quickly. Riri Williams. What, what did you think of this character? Um, 
she was fine. It just seemed like she didn't really belong in this movie. And and it's for the same reason that we just talked about. It just felt like, man, I really wish I would have had the opportunity to meet this character in different circumstances in a different project in a that well, in a different project that had a different tone because she strikes me as somebody who will fit really well in with the sort of light and breezy MCU, you know, joke a minute kind of um you know, being able to to pull off like the physicality and and the humor and you know bring a little bit of a a swagger and a charm and a and a lightness to, of touch to the whole project. I think she is Dominique Thorne. I think is the actress's name, right? Yeah, um, she I thought was like a great uh, find, and and the Riri Williams character is interesting in her own right. But like when you zoom out a little bit and look about and look at how she um, sort of slots into the narrative of this story, it just she sticks out like a sore thumb, basically. So I just I, I really wish that there was an, another way that Marvel could have found to introduce her <laughs> into this world, um, because I just didn't really think that she worked very well in this story. I will say that I do think it's smart that. Marvel did put her in a film to get people excited for Ironheart because it seems like whenever they do one of the shows that it's not a character, you know, that's been built up or whatever, that pe- less people are excited about it, like, you know, a Moon Knight or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and even uh, my girlfriend Ketra, you know, saw, it was at D23, saw the footage, uh, the, the trailer for Ironheart, was not excited about it, saw this movie, and one of the first things she said when she walked out was like, now I'm excited for Ironheart. So I was like, well, I guess uh, mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, and Marvel. it's not like it can't work, right? Because, like, obviously, Black Panther himself showed up first in Civil War before getting his own movie. And I, yeah. I think the difference is, like, the the Black Panther arc in Civil War made sense for that larger story that they were telling and actually, like, slotted into that narrative in a much more thematically resonant way and, and narratively resonant way. And then, um, you know, here it's just it just sort of feels like more like a, a Disney requirement than, you know, oh, she absolutely has to be in the story because of the the things that she can bring to the table as a character, you know? It, it also feels weird to me because I don't know what that uh, TV series is, but I'm assuming it's her at MIT creating her Ironheart suit. And, like, I'm assuming it takes place after the events of this movie, but I could be wrong. It seems weird that she be, builds a suit in this movie i know she builds it with wakanda technology and she uses you know she's uh uh you know stepping on the uh the stairs that shuri has built for her mm-hmm. uh but it seems weird that like this show is theoretically possibly I'm, i guess i'm going based on my assumptions is like her you know iron man origin story of her building the suit when she's already built the suit now yeah, I don't. I have no idea what that is going to be, what that show is going to be, because, yeah, it seems like she sort of like came into her own as a hero and now like has her own suit of armor and like has her own look and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what that is going to be. And I'm frankly like a little exhausted thinking about it because it's like this is this is what these movies are now is just like launch pads for other things. And I, I wish that, you know, I, I think the first Black Panther did such a great job at being its own thing and not really getting bogged down too much in that. And this one, you can sort of feel the, um, the sort of larger uh, requirements being placed on Ryan Coogler. And it just doesn't seem fair given everything else this movie has to do. Yeah. It also seems like, uh, well, they also cram, you know, not, not just Everett Ross back into the story, but also, uh, 
Valentina, Allegra, D. Fontaine. Yes. Well, I'm going to call Val from this point forward. I, I don't know. It's like, were either of those characters really necessary to this plot? No, that was like the worst part about this movie. I think it's just like sort of stops in its tracks to to bring them back into the fold. And I understand that Everett Ross has a history with the Wakandans that, you know, that's been shown in the other movies and stuff. But like... It, what he actually needed to do here and what he like, he gave them one piece of information or something. Right. And I think that was pretty much it. And then the whole rest of his appearance was just filling in backstory with Val and, you know, like him getting in trouble and, and okay. Is that, and, and apparently I, I was, the FBI are like the stupidest people ever. Like there's blue skinned people who can breathe underwater, you know, kill all these people in this base. And they're like, Oh, it must be the Wakandans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they like, you know, uh, if if their uh, camera technology was not working or, or what happened there. Um, I think they were just assuming it was the Wakandans because of the involvement vibranium. of Vibranium. But yeah. like, yeah, uh, that whole subplot, um, I think, yeah, was definitely like the part where I rolled my eyes the most and just felt like, okay, we're really like, this is, th- this movie is like two hours and 40 minutes or something. And like, I think it would have been much better off uh, excising these characters from it altogether. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the queen and the queen's death, which I, it, it's weird because I feel like this movie hangs so largely on T'Challa's death already. And then you have this other death and it makes me wonder, like, was, do we know if this, was this script like adapted after the death of Chadwick Boseman? Because it almost feels like, maybe that death was going to be the uh, like T'Challa's death or something. Interesting. Yeah. I know that um, that they had a version written and they were not quite ready to go, but definitely in the writing phase. And then he died and then they had to completely rework some stuff. And I, my understanding is that they incorporated a lot of what was in that original story and just sort of like repurposed it into, you know, stuff that we're seeing here. Um, well, obviously, like changing the whole tenor and, and scope of the story around it yeah. based on Chadwick's loss, but um, but yeah, I'm not sure. Like, if what, that what, was... did, what did you think of her death and how how I don't know? It just feels like overcrowded with. Yeah, it, I'm I'm of two minds about this because I I uh, like starting the movie with the loss of T'Challa is um you know it puts the audience on their back foot immediately and and sort of like is a is a tough thing like everybody knows it's coming but the way that they chose to do that uh was like emotionally effective i thought and then here the queen queen ramonda's death like angela bassett is such a, a force in these movies and to lose her is kind of um a bummer because it loses like one of the few true links that we have as an audience to the world of wakanda and the uh the ancestry of wakanda and like the um the regality the royal you know family yeah. of it all and like the uh, it feels like she was a true authority figure in that part of the world that we haven't really gotten that much uh, of a chance to to discover yet. Um, and so on one hand, I'm like a little bit bummed to lose her. On the other hand, I'm this was one of the decisions that I actually sort of like almost uh, applauded in the theater, not, not just because I'm like some sicko who was like, yes, bring me more death, but it actually feels <laughs> like a a ballsy choice in a movie that doesn't really have that many of them in my mind um of like actually like oh this you know this movie is about grief let's compound this let's make this even more difficult for these characters um which is a a storytelling choice that i think 
could work well, but like, I, I like the idea of it, but I didn't necessarily appreciate the execution of it. It felt like her death should have sent even more ripples through the Wakandan community. And like, this movie is so busy doing all this other stuff that we didn't really have the time to feel the consequences of her death very much in this. And I know that there's going to be, I think Brian Coogler is uh, executive producing like a Wakanda show. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, you've got the, the, uh, the uh, the Ironheart show that that's you know in the works and her relationship with the people of Wakanda will probably factor into that in some way. So like there are opportunities for people to, um, I guess, truly mourn the queen's death in a in a real way and like uh, you know talk about her legacy and stuff like that. So I don't necessarily think she got like fully short shrift, but um, it just felt like. Man, again, I, I wish yeah. that this could have happened in a different version of this movie because uh, it's an interesting choice. I just didn't know if those ripples were really as big as they could have been. Yeah, and I think it also happens while she's saving Riri instead of, I don't know, I, I feel like I would want it to be, make it more personal to the like Shuri story. Not that I even feel like that arc is a good, I don't know, I, I really feel like that arc is a weak arc. But, um, okay, uh, you... I guess let's um why why is Everett Ross I guess his ex-wife was Val like that's something that's revealed in this movie is yeah and and that's kind of it like that's (laughs) it's basically like that piece of information is imparted to the audience and then they sort of like banter around and kind of like that's it and it they have way more screen time than necessary to give us that piece of information so um it's weird I guess it's also sending setting up the uh, what is it the Thunderbolts movie right where like Val is going to be the sort yeah. of like Nick Fury player who's who's putting her own team together and they've had concept art for that movie that's out and you can read about the the team that they've assembled that that's going to be leading that movie in whatever it is two years or something so it just feels like yeah more uh, sort of table setting for the larger MCU project. And you mentioned that Wakanda TV show uh, supposedly it's going to be following Okoye and in this. Sh- movie she kind of uh you know she loses her she's no longer part of the door Malaja. uh she she gets like um demoted she gets yeah. uh yeah is that the word? stripped from her stripped from yeah. her and then she becomes uh the midnight angels alongside one of her her other um cohorts there and th- i'm guessing that's gonna be do you think that's gonna be the tv show um that makes sense to be the tv show i was really bummed about okoye in this movie i don't know about yeah. peter but like she was such a, a standout in that first film and it just sort of felt like this is another character who didn't really have that much to do in this movie and like the um the devastation but she, she was upset over the suit ben that yeah, was her was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course and then she gets this new one and everything's supposed to be all hungy dory but it's yeah. like oh great you're you're in an iron man suit flying around on a ship and everything that that whole third act action sequence i was just not a fan of because of like there, there's no engagement there's no like personality that's a weird thing about this movie because uh, ostensibly it's going to be the most personal movie in the entire marvel history right because of the loss of chadwick boson but i personally felt like the first movie I connected more to the characters and what was going on because they sort of like, they were able to introduce you to this world of Wakanda and pull this curtain back and say like, Hey, here's this whole society. Here are these people. I cared a lot about everyone. It felt like all the ingredients were perfectly served in that first movie. And then this movie, 
it's supposed to be even more personal, but I felt like at arm's length from the whole thing. Like I never connected really with anybody. I never, um, there was never a fist pumping moment of like, Oh my God, even the filmmaking here is incredible. It just all felt like very much like, um, they were juggling with way too many balls in the air and there just was not, it can never settle into a true groove in, in the way that I, th- I feel like the first movie did. Like there's that moment in the the first film where they have that big casino fight sequence in, in Seoul, I think in South Korea. Yeah. And, um, and like, there's that incredible one shot and all of that. And it just feels like that's that fist pumping moment of that first movie. And this movie has a one shot, but it's like in Riri's garage as they're trying to escape. And like that whole thing just sort of felt like undercooked a little bit. And, and like, yeah, the Okoye character, it all centers on her, right? Because she loses Riri and then she has to sort of face the consequences of that when she's back in the throne room and Wakanda facing off against uh, Queen Ramonda and, and Ramonda's like, you know, yelling at her basically just saying like, I can't believe you lost my daughter. And, and Okoye is so like uh, racked with guilt and emotion and like the performance is so powerful there, but then like nothing ever kind of happens with it. It's just, um, you know, th- there's no... I don't know. I feel like the idea of uh, the general of the Wakandan army um, being stripped of her rank and then being, you know, essentially becoming like a wandering Ronin is like such a fascinating idea. And like, yeah, maybe they're going to just boot that to the TV show and explore that idea later. I think that's what's going to happen. But it just it feels like they're, you know, if you're going to do that in this movie, like show me what happens to her now. I don't know. I, or Or give me more of her as a character now. It just feels like Okoye became... Um, you know, part of like the the uh, background or something instead of being like a foreground player like she was in the first film. Um, okay, uh, Mbaku. Let's talk about him. Uh, he kind of gets punked out by the uh, by the are they Atlantean? What would you consider those oh, people? The, uh, the Talacons, I think. Talacons, yeah, yeah. Um, and then at the end of the movie, he's uh, in Sherry's absence. He steps forward to challenge for the throne. Which, depending on who you talk to, because I talked to a bunch of people after this movie, some people think that that was just a joke, and then some people think that like we're going to get that settled in the next movie that he's literally like he's actually challenging the throne. What What did you read out of this? Yeah, this was weird because in the moment I thought it was a joke and then I didn't really think about it very much at again, like as the rest of the movie was playing out because there's what, 10 or 15 more minutes of the movie probably by the time all is said and done. Yeah. And then afterwards, somebody was like, oh yeah, M'Baku is now the king of Wakanda. And I was like, oh, I, I guess he is. Um, I didn't really, it didn't play with like a serious tone to me in the moment. So Oh, so he, he just a default wins because she's not there? Maybe I don't know. It was a little unclear to me, and that's the kind of that's one of the other because um, other know, people I, are like that was obviously tongue in cheek. That was like nothing that he's making a joke, and I'm like, was it? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's unclear, and that's I know I sound like really harsh on this movie. There are things I liked about it, but like th- that's one of the things that I didn't particularly care for was like I really wanted more of Wakanda in this movie. Like they did such a great job of setting that up in the first film, and we see a little glimpses of it in. Uh, infinity war and stuff but like i was really looking forward to learning more about the customs and the people and spending time there and actually really like um digging into like ground level stuff in wakanda yeah uh and then this movie doesn't have time for any of that because it's it's doing the same thing with talakan in this film that they did with wakanda in the first movie like introducing you to a whole new new society 
but it's so surface level that I've, I never felt like I got a sense of what life was like in Talokan. Like it's beautiful, you know, when they're, when he's showing Shuri the city and she's in the suit and floating and all that and like seeing everything and like the, the production design is incredible. And like, I, I really like the look of it, but I was never connected to anything, any of it. I never felt like, oh, I actually, I want to spend time there and like learn what these people think because I, I, there aren't yeah. any other characters in Talokan aside from Namor that you, or Namor as he calls himself, um, <laughs> that, that you uh, are, are able to connect to. It's like, there are two other Talokan people that, that speak to him or something in the whole movie basically is what it feels like. And I don't know what their names are and I don't know what they want and I don't know what they're like. And I, I couldn't tell you a single thing about their personality. And coming out of the first Black Panther, I could tell you five or six characters and all of their personality types and all of their, you know, distinct things that sort of make them interesting or whatever. And like, there was none of that in, in Talokan in this movie. So people, I've seen a lot of people like saying how much they love that in Wakanda forever. And I, 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 you know, I'm glad for them, but I just wish that there was more there because to me, it just felt really, really surface level. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. As much as I, I did like uh, seeing that world, I, I felt like we only got to see the surface of it. And it's like, why are we spending time with Val and uh, Riri and and uh, Everett Ross? <laughs> you know, like yeah. we could have like expanded upon this. I, I hate to do this because I it, it, the worst criticism of a movie is like, I wish it was like this. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, me uh, knocking something because of my fan fiction. Uh, but like, I really feel like I wish we could have spent more time in Wakanda feeling the the hole that T'Challa left. And also like, you know, seeing the people, what happens there with, the, you know, Shuri not willing to take up the mantle of the Black Panther. Like, you know, is there a power vacuum? You know, does M'Baku want to take, you know, like that whole thing could have been super interesting. Yeah. And yet, like, we just cut to one year later and don't get any of that. And, um, you know, let's, let's fast forward really quick to the ending here with Nakia, uh, Sherry visiting her in Haiti and uh, burning uh, her funeral robe, which was, it was a, a nice moment. Again, it was one of the moments I, I, I cried. And um, then we finally see that... Uh, that Shuri learns that Nakia had a son with T'Challa and we learn that the name is T'Challa and mm -hmm. it, it, I'm getting emotional <laughs> even, even saying that, like, I don't know. It, it, it was a great reveal for it. it was that the mid, mid credit sequence? I think it was. Yeah. I think um, they did not have a post credit sequence. I didn't stay cause I read an article yeah. beforehand where Nate Moore, the producer was like, we don't want to, <laughs> you know, tack on some, you know, here's what's coming next in the MCU yeah. thing after the sort of like powerful mid credit sequence though. Yeah. They didn't yeah. have a sequence at the end. They did say black Panther will return. Okay. Um, was at the end of the movie, but w what did you think of this sequence uh, with them basically establishing a new King for Wakanda? Yeah, I I liked that. I liked all of the Nakia stuff in this movie. I think Lupita Nyong'o is incredible. And I, you know, as long as we're uh, continuing this trend, Peter, of like, you know, uh, obnoxiously talking about what we wish this movie was <laughs> instead, um, if you'll allow me, I would just say I wish that Nakia was the one who suited up as Black Panther in this movie because she has such a... a um, it's not a familial relationship with that, that romantic relationship she had with T'Challa and that history with that character and the... Um, just the the clear love that she feels for him and like the the ideological clashes that they have in that first film 
Nakia is so much more interesting to me as a character than Shuri is. Uh, and it's not necessarily a knock on the performers, but um, Lupita Nyong'o's won an Oscar. I mean, she and, and she every time she comes on screen, she lights it up in a way that is just, um, you know, she has that X factor. She has that thing that I'm looking for that is just like, yes, I, I want to watch everything that you do. I want I can see decisions forming behind your eyes in a way that I can't for some of these other characters. I can read the emotions that you're feeling at all times. Um, you know, this is a very clear character to me. And I, I loved every second that Nakia was on the screen. This is one of the things that I keep talking about. Like, I like aspects of this movie. This is what I liked. Um, you know, every time that she was was involved. But I just, I wish that she could have been the the Black Panther. I wish that, you know, this could have been a, yeah. a scenario where like, um, Shuri maybe even like realizes, maybe even has that vision where she sees Killmonger, right? And and then comes to the realization of like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not ready yet for this mantle. And she p could like pass it to Nakia or something instead like that. And again, like, you know, who the <laughs> hell am I? I've never written a screenplay, whatever. Um, but that that's the that's the thing that I wanted to happen coming out of this movie, just feeling like there was mis missed opportunity, missed potential to incorporate the Nakia character in a way in, in a much larger way into the story. Um, yeah, all of that I, I loved, you know, everything with the sun, I, I really loved the, the, um, the thing at the end where it sort of like flashes with imagery of T'Challa, right? Like the, the, um, you know, it, it almost does that like, uh, Paul Walker at the end of Furious seven kind of yeah. like montage kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That like, I think a lot of people were crying in that moment. And unfortunately that moment was like, brought me out of the movie in a way where I was like, my God, Chadwick Boseman was such a charismatic performer. And, he, you know, it reminded <sighs> yeah. me of the hole that I'd, I'd been missing in the entire movie up to that point. So uh, I didn't have the emotional response to that little montage that I wish I would have, but I did um, really appreciate the ending and, and the fact that Nakia is going to be hopefully a, a key part of whatever they have going forward. Um, so I appreciated that, but I just wish there was more of her in this movie. You know, another thing I kind of wish too is I wish this movie was about who's going to be the next Black Panther and us not knowing. Because uh, obviously the first trailer kind of like hinted, like I thought that the, what the movie was going to be uh, because they only showed like one little shot of the Black Panther. But then as the marketing went on, it was very clear. Yeah. We saw who the Black Panther was. I don't think it was a shock to anybody who it was. But it would have been cool to like play with that, like who's going to be the next Black Panther and different people vying for it for different mm -hmm. reasons. And then, yeah, like you could have had, uh, you know, you could have had either of them and you wouldn't know who it is. You could show them in the trailer. I don't know. I, I think that would have been cool. Um, huh. Okay. Uh, so the ending, uh, I don't know. I, I like where this movie ends things off, especially with, um, uh, the kingdom of, uh, Telekin. Telecon. Telecon. Um, and, uh, with, you know, this new King as a kid and, uh, like if, if, if I feel like it, it has some interesting threads that could be picked up in a third movie and, uh, could even like, it, it seems like it's almost setting it up for a, like the end of a trilogy kind of thing. Um, it, it, it seems like it, this is, this, it seems like Ryan Coogler was thinking about how he would go if he was going to make this uh, make a third part of a trilogy, and it seems like it's this movie is setting those things up at least at the very end. 
maybe not the whole movie. That's but, interesting because uh, I I never once thought about Black Panther three. I always just thought about like the <laughs> you know what what sort of intermittent like Disney Plus stuff are we going to see in between or like spinoff you know appearances in other yeah. movies and stuff. I never even thought about Black Panther three uh, at all during this movie. But but maybe I should have. And maybe you're right. Maybe they're going to save some of that for a like a proper third film. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening that really like this movie. Um, I, I I get it. And I, I know there's some emotion here that is tied to the actual actor and what Black Panther meant to a lot of people. And it's, I don't know, I feel like we're, <laughs> kind of being very critical of of this movie where where it's i don't know i i enjoyed it i just think it was a mess it was it, it was it could have been a much better movie and i think it, uh i feel bad that we're both <laughs> we're both yeah. on the same page on this one because i'm sure there's people out there that are like very angry listening to us yeah i'm uh, sure there are other podcasts where you know people will will sing its <laughs> yeah. praises and and there are things to to praise in it like again the costume design the production design is really oh, yeah. great as it was in the first film like there the look of the um the Talakan people was really awesome i loved the uh that the idea that they're wearing masks but there's like water you know in front of their their mouths where by the way like, was it established why some of them were blue but some of them weren't um I don't think so. Maybe not, not super clearly to me anyway. Maybe somebody knows uh, the answer to that. Yeah, um, yeah, I didn't quite understand. Like I had that conversation with some people afterwards and none of us could come up with a conclusion of why some of the people in the kingdom, uh, when we see uh, the people of the kingdom underneath the water, uh, were not blue, but the main ones were blue. So I don't. Yeah, maybe it had to do with like the um, like offspring of the people who consumed the uh yeah. vibranium tinged stuff that we see in the flashbacks that kind of thing but um okay so i know we're wrapping up here peter and like yeah. i have to go you know very soon but <laughs> i i feel like we can't end this without talking about the mutant thing real quick so oh. what do you make of um of namor talking about like how he was a mutant like he used that word and that that word is super um <laughs> charged uh, in charged, the marvel yeah. universe right like there's a, a heavy meaning there and like we've seen in the mcu already they've brought that word in at the very end of, um, of Ms. Marvel. And like, you know, they played the, the X-Men 97 theme song and, and like they, they toyed with it a little bit in, um, Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So like, this is very much like on Kevin Feige's mind, right? Like how do we introduce or reintroduce the idea of mutants into the MCU now that we own all these Fox characters and everything. I, I, and like, I, I don't know. They didn't play the, the little X-Men 97 thing, which they have in the past when, when it's been like a uh, an X-Men version of the word mutant, if you get my meaning, I kind of feel like he just used the the word in like the literal sense, like his genes literally mutated because of the the stuff that his mom consumed while she was pregnant with him. And then he didn't necessarily mean I'm a mutant, like an X-Men mutant. I just think he used that word and it was like a way for Kevin Feige to be like, all right, now we can have people argue about this and speculate about this and, you know, wonder about this because the character, I think, is a mutant in the comics, but it's it's unclear if, like, he if it, if it counts, really. Um, so what did you think about that? I, and, yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I really don't know what Kevin Feige is planning for the X-Men. It really feels like there isn't an idea yet. It feels like... 
and, and I'm, I'm guessing I'm probably wrong there because Kevin Feige has like a five-year plan for everything. Um, <laughs> it really feels like he's just establishing that there's other mutants in this world to me and it, it, he doesn't know where this is going to go. Oh no, it doesn't feel like there's a, a thesis coming with all the, the reveal of all these people that are mutants in the MCU. Yeah, it kind of struck me as like, he used that word in a vague way. So, you know, if he wants to, he can say later on, you know, when he's sort of like back against the wall, like, okay, I have to, I have to make a decision now about he was, who is a mutant and who isn't. Uh, he can make the decision either yeah. way um, is how it, it read to me. And um, But anyway, I just, I just wanted to know if, if you had any sort of any different read on that. That sounds like you're you're sort of in the same boat. So. Yeah, it's weird because like you could clearly not have that line in the movie. Did I mean yeah, like you yeah, could yeah. Have, not have that word, but they put that in there for a reason. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I really don't know, Ben. <laughs> okay. okay. And anyways, we have a ton of coverage of Wakanda Forever on the site. Uh, I want to say probably dozens of articles at this point. I'll put uh, links to some of the major ones in the show notes if you want to check those out. Uh, Slash Home Daily is published every weekday on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please subscribe to our newsletter you can find that on slash home.com on the very top there and please send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter at slash home.com rate and read this podcast on apple podcast tell your friends spread the word we'll see you tomorrow for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe for the safety minded who watch everyone's backs Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.